And good morning to everyone. Great to be with you on this Reformation Sunday. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. And we will get there in just a moment. The year was 1528, and a young man, 24 years of age, named Patrick Hamilton, uh, made the journey back home to Scotland from Germany. He had gone to Germany to study, further his theological education. While there, he had encountered the writings of Martin Luther. Luther's key writings really began to circulate in the years 1520, 1521, so they had already stirred some controversy in the German provinces, and Patrick Hamilton was there studying, encountered these writings, and through these writings, God miraculously converted him to the Protestant religion. He returned home to Roman Catholic Scotland, knowing that if he shared his newfound faith, if he declared these truths that he had embraced while on the continent, it would mean most certain death. He was not deterred. He preached for six weeks. He made it through six weeks before he was finally arrested, put on trial, and burned at the stake, making him Scotland's first martyr of the Reformation. John Knox wrote a very important historical work called The History of the Reformation in Scotland. He speaks of Patrick Hamilton. And in reference to the first martyr of the Protestant Reformation in Scotland, John Knox penned the following. Neither the love of life nor the fear of death could move him, that is, Patrick Hamilton. Neither the love of life nor the fear of death could move him to swerve from the truth once professed. Why was a young man of 24 years of age willing to die such a horrendous death, uh, being burned alive at a, the stake? Let me give you some reasons why he wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't willing to do that because he thought the gospel would make his life happy. He wasn't willing to do that because he thought the gospel would solve all of his problems. He wasn't willing to do that because he thought the gospel would make him healthy and wealthy. He wasn't about to do that because he thought in the gospel he would find some sort of place in heaven in the future. No, Patrick Hamilton was willing to do that because he had embraced the truth. And in particular, he had embraced four truths. He had embraced Scripture alone. He had embraced grace alone, faith 
alone, Christ alone. And Patrick Hamilton was convinced that these four truths give all the glory to God alone. That's why he was willing to die. He was not willing to die because he thought the gospel would solve his problems, give him an easy life, make him healthy, make him wealthy, give him his best life now. Because folks, it wasn't his best life now. It wasn't. It was a short six weeks full of horrendous trouble. And he died a horrendous death. He was willing to do so. He would not be swerved from the truth. Why? Because he was convinced that that truth resounded for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. God's glory alone. That is what we're going to celebrate today. And what we're going to do basically is two things. Very simple. Number one, we want to make sure, here we are, 21st century, sitting here, Grace Community Church, we want to make sure we really get We understand what the Reformers meant when they celebrated God's glory alone. We want to get our minds around that. Make sure we're on the same wavelength. The second thing we want to do is this, is answer the very simple question. Why does it matter as Grace Community Church, we celebrate our 18th birthday or anniversary, I'm not sure either, Rick. He was confused, I'm confused. Let's go with birthday. Our 18th birthday today. Why does soli deo gloria matter? Why, whatever it was the reformers were championing 500 years ago, why does it matter for us on our 18th birthday? So our first order of business. What did the reformers intend when they championed this notion of God's glory alone. We're going to end in 1 Corinthians 1, okay? Let me warn you right now, I'm going to make four points. The fourth point brings us to 1 Corinthians. It's where we want to spend most time. But points 1, 2, and 3, I'm going to read briefly other passages of Scripture. No need to go there unless you want to go there. Just listen carefully as I read them and just make a couple of passing comments as we make our way to the fourth point. That makes sense to you. Point number one, as we wrestle with soli deo gloria. Here's what the reformers meant. Here's the first stop. We need to be clear on this. They meant the following. God is infinitely glorious. That's the first thing they intended. They were defining God, his very nature, his very essence. God is infinitely glorious. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, that is Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so God is infinitely glorious. When we speak of God's glory, 
we are referring to the excellence of the divine nature, who he is. We are making explicit reference to the radiance of his perfections. He is absolutely perfect in wisdom. He is wisdom. He is power. He is wrath. He is love. He is righteousness. He is faithfulness. He is all-knowing. He is all of these things. And the accumulative radiance of his perfections constitute his glory. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Well, what did Isaiah see? Isaiah merely saw a theophany. Isaiah merely saw a physical manifestation of the glory of God, but he did not see the unbridled radiance that is the fullness of his attributes. That is who he is, his divine nature. That's the first stop. God is infinitely glorious. Here's the second stop. In the Reformer's articulation of soli deo gloria, God alone is worthy of glory. God alone is worthy of glory. Hear the words from the pen of the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 at the end of the chapter. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. To him. To him be glory forever. Amen. Why do we give glory to him forever? We give glory to him alone forever, for from him are all things. He is the source of everything. He is the source of all things, plants, animals, humans included. He is the source of all elements, fire, water. He is the source of all principles, faith, truth, justice, beauty, and goodness. He is the source of all things. Why do we give glory to him forever? Because not only are all things from him, but Paul says all things are through him. Meaning he is the cohesive principle in the entire cosmos. Meaning he is the reason why there is, there is significance. He is the reason why there is cohesion and not chaos. He is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the one who governs all things. He is the one who holds the slightest particles in that light, that beam of sunlight. He is the one who holds the galaxies in outer space. He holds, superintends, governs all things. But we give glory to him forever, not only because all things are from him, not only because all things are through him, but Paul says all things are to him. Meaning what? Why do things exist? Why are there seasons? Why are there so many galaxies? Why are there so many types of vegetation? Why are there so many beautiful animals? Why is there a sunset? Why are there people? Why do you exist? Why do I exist? The great answer to the great question, why, is simply this, the glory of God. Oh, my friend, it is paradigm-shifting 
the moment you begin to understand that this universe is simply a stage. That is all it is. The universe is a stage. It is a stage upon which God has decided to manifest his glory. That is all it is. And he alone deserves the glory. The third stop in the reformer's understanding is this. God has tied the fullest manifestation of his glory to our salvation. And so, yes, creation does declare his glory. Yes, the heavens, says the psalmist, are full of his glory. But the fullest manifestation, the most complete revelation of his glory, God has tied it to man's salvation. Here again, Paul's words in Ephesians 1 verse 6. God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That is it. And so, yes, we see God's glory. We behold God's glory in the created order. Yes, we see it. We behold it. We celebrate it in his wondrous works of providence. But far eclipsing these stands at the pinnacle his work of redemption. And in his work of redemption, in particular, the salvation of his people. And in the salvation of his people, in particular, their adoption into his family. And through that adoption, he is showing forth in unparalleled fashion the glory of his grace. God had a plan, the triune God, an eternal plan, a plan before the beginning, a plan before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the plan was simply this, I will glorify myself. I will glorify myself. And here is how I will glorify myself. I will glorify myself in the salvation, the very adoption of sinners and rebels into my family, whereby I transform them into sons of God. And it will be for the eternal declaration, revelation, manifestation of my glorious grace. Oh, God has tied the fullest manifestation of his glory to our salvation. And now here is the fourth stop. And it brings us to our text in 1 Corinthians. Number four, the doctrine of justification in particular accentuates God's glory. The doctrine of justification in particular accentuates God's glory. And that is what the reformers chiefly intended. And that is what we chiefly intend when we declare Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, glory alone. Please understand, those five points are not an extensive summary of Reformed thinking, Reformed theology. Please understand that those five points are very simple, and in actual fact, in those five points, we are really only engaging in two arguments. We're really only making two points in those five points. The first point concerns authority. What is the authority upon which we stand? We stand upon the sufficiency of Scripture, sola scriptura. The second point is this, the doctrine of justification. Not salvation in its entirety, not sanctification, not even glorification, but justification. We are justified, the Reformers were saying, and we echo their, their cry, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. 
You see, they understood it. They understood that it was this doctrine of justification as they were articulating it and defending it that gave all the glory to God alone. It gave all the glory to God alone because its starting point was right. Its starting point was not semi-Pelagianism, which had a strangled hold on the Roman Catholic Church. Its starting point was not man. Its starting point was not the idea that, yeah, you've done some bad things in your life. The, the glass is half empty. Believe in the Lord Jesus. He'll fill up that half empty glass and make your life all better. No, the, the idea was not, well, you need grace to kind of help you. Yeah, forgiveness of sins and then get you through life. No, the starting point for the reformers was this. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're absolutely dead. You are spiritually dead. When Adam sinned, he did not merely break his foot, stub his toe, fall down. He died spiritually. And all of his descendants have entered this world spiritually dead, antithetical, at enmity with God. And if anyone is ever going to be saved, it will be a work of God from beginning to end. And my friend, you will contribute nothing to it. All you will do is simply receive it through faith. And even that faith will have no merit because that faith will be a result of the stirring of the Spirit of God. And when it comes to the judgment day and you stand before God and you give an account, a day of reckoning, and that great balance is held there in front of your eyes and you realize that as your sins are enumerated and calculated and put on display before you, there is absolutely no reason at all as to why God should receive you and welcome into glory. One reason alone, isn't there? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that if we are going to be justified, that is declared righteous. If we are going to be accepted in the sight of God, then please, 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 the starting point is this. Understand, you bring nothing. You have no merit. This is not an exchange. This isn't you doing your part. God will do his part and it will all work out. No, my friend, justification is by grace alone. And it is through faith alone. And it is in Christ alone. And guess what? God gets all the glory alone. You get nothing and I get nothing. Is that true? We get everything because we get the Lord Jesus. But it is not our glory. It all resounds for the glory of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this crystallizes, I pray, in our thinking. As the Apostle Paul declares in verse 30, He, that is God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, verse 31, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast glory in the Lord. Notice six or seven things quickly, and I do mean quickly. Notice firstly that our life, start of verse 30, is in Christ Jesus. And so here Paul is making reference to that great, that key central theological tenet, which is what? That through faith, we become one with the Lord Jesus. 
justified through faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit took hold of me. I took hold of, of the Lord Jesus through faith. And through that faith, I am now one with him in the reckoning of God. And because I am one with him, notice secondly, what has Christ become to me? What has God made the Lord Jesus to me? He has made me, made him my wisdom. That's illumination. You see, there was nothing but darkness beforehand. When it came to spiritual truth, I was completely ignorant. I didn't understand the first thing about God or salvation, the way of salvation, or what he required of me, or what it meant to believe in the Lord Jesus. I, 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 was, I was completely ignorant in regard to these things, sitting there in spiritual darkness, but being made one with Christ. Christ has been made to me wisdom. Notice thirdly, that now that I am in Christ, God has made Christ my righteousness. And so he, I have become the righteousness of God because I am one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I now understand, yes, okay, justification. I now get it. God is declaring me to be righteous. He is declaring me to be just in his sight. And he is doing that through faith in Christ because I am one with Christ. God is now counting Christ's righteousness he is now counting Christ's obedience. He is counting that perfect life that the Lord Jesus lived. God is counting it to my account. He is reckoning it to me. And so Christ has become to me righteousness. But notice thirdly, God has made the Lord Jesus our what? Sanctification. Yes, I am one with the Lord Jesus. One with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And because I'm one with him, I have been sanctified. I have been set apart. I am a saint in the sight of God. I am holy in the sight of God. And yes, that sets me off on a journey, a life in which I pursue sanctification. But I understand in the sight of God, as I stand in the Lord Jesus, I am holy, being one with the Holy One. I am a saint. And I notice fourthly what? That God has made the Lord Jesus what unto me? Redemption. This isn't redemption whereby he died upon Calvary's cross, although that is extremely important. This is that redemption, that final redemption, that culmination point, also known as glorification. It will involve a resurrection and a glorified body. It will involve a glorified soul. And I understand that even now as I wait, as I anticipate, and as I long for that day, it is already a most certain reality because God has already made Christ redemption unto me. And notice fifthly, all of this is what? It's the work of God. Right at the start of verse 30. He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. This is a creative work, act of God, to which you and I as Christians have contributed nothing. And notice lastly, the seventh point, our response, verse 31, therefore, and Paul simply states the obvious, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because you see, justification, salvation, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for 
God's glory alone. Martin Luther, reminiscing on one particular conversation with a member of his church, penned the following. When I first took up my defense of the gospel, I remember a man saying to me, I like it. I like this doctrine you preach because it gives glory and everything else to God alone and nothing to man. For we cannot attribute too much glory, too much goodness, too much mercy to God. Luther reminisces. Oh, this greatly comforted and confirmed me to hear this. And it is true that the doctrine of the gospel removes from mankind all glory. It strips him of all glory, all wisdom, all righteousness. It removes from mankind everything and gives it solely to God who made everything out of nothing. Is that the gospel you believe? Is that the gospel you believe that makes everything of God and absolutely nothing of you? Is that the gospel you hear preached broadly and widely in our day that the gospel in actual fact and game has very little to do with you? It has everything to do with God. It serves but one overarching final, ultimate purpose. It is the glory of God whereby no man, no woman will have the slightest reason to boast, claim anything in his presence. Oh, that's what the reformers were champion. That's what Patrick Hamilton died for. That's why Patrick Hamilton was willing to be burned at the stake because he got it. He understood it that what he had embraced and what he was now professing was this great truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Did you get the four points? Did you get them? Do I need to repeat them? I will anyway. Here they are, just quickly, in case you missed them. As we understand the Reformers' articulation of God's glory alone. Number one, God is infinitely glorious. Who He is in His essential self. Number two, God alone is worthy of glory. Number three, God has tied the fullest manifestation of His glory to man's salvation. Number four, it is the doctrine of justification in particular that accentuates God's glory. Now, that was our first order of business. The second thing I want us to do today is as follows. I want to explain why soli Deo Gloria is of such importance to Grace Community Church as we celebrate our 18th birthday. So as we reflect on 18 years and as we anticipate in God's will at least another 18 years, who knows? As we look back, as we stop at present, take a survey, and as we look ahead, 
uh, why this doctrine, Soli Deo Gloria, is of such importance. And uh, you'll be thankful to know that on Thursday, this list was running somewhere around 15 or 16, but on Friday, I reduced it to nine. So there you go. Here we go, all right? Nine reasons why uh, God's glory alone is so important for us as a church. Firstly, Soli Deo Gloria protects us from falling prey to a man-centered gospel. And we must always be on the guard. Soli Deo Gloria protects us, guards us, keeps us from falling prey to a man-centered gospel. A gospel constructed upon felt needs. A gospel constructed upon felt needs. A gospel that merely offers steps for cultivating a better life, steps for cultivating a happier marriage, steps for cultivating a thriving home, and on and on it goes. A gospel that offers steps for coping with illness, steps for dealing with wayward children, steps for overcoming financial woes, and on and on and on it goes. A gospel built upon felt needs and a gospel that therefore places man at the center of God's motivation as if God's greatest concern was how our life was going. As if God's greatest concern were our problems and overcoming them and having a happy life in our pursuit of health, wealth, and prosperity. My friend, this may burst your bubble. That isn't even close to God's greatest concern. God's chief, and I dare say only, motivating factor is this. It is His glory. And it is to manifest the fullness of His glory. And a gospel that falls short of accentuating the glory of God, I dare say perhaps in the final analysis, is no gospel at all. And how we must guard ourselves, soli Deo Gloria, it will protect us from falling prey to a man-centered gospel. Are you ready for number two? Eight to go. Number two. Soli Deo Gloria gives cohesion to a chaotic world. It gives cohesion to a chaotic world. You watch the news, you read the papers, you hear the talk shows, and it is negativity, 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 negativity. We hear of the disasters, we see the moral decline, we, we wonder in this age in which man seems to have lost the ability or at least the willingness to discern between good and evil, where will it all end? And the chaos, the pervading chaos, at times overwhelms us. Oh, my friends, soli deo gloria. Keep your eyes fixed upon it. It will give cohesion to a chaotic world because it reminds us that all things are from him, through him, and to him. Why does the sun rise? Why does the rain fall? Why does that blast of cold air come in somewhere from the north? 
Why does the sun shine? Why do we have those warm days? Why do the birds fly and sing and head south or north, whatever they do this time of year? Why are there such wonderful harvests? Why, 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 why? Why are there disasters? Why is there prosperity and blessing? Why, 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 why? How do we make sense of it all in an age of seemingly senselessness? Oh, to keep this great motif ever present before our eyes that God reigns supreme over this universe and all things, although we may not always understand it, all things ultimately resound for His, His glory. Oh, that gives cohesion in the midst of chaos. Third reason why Soli Deo glory is so important. It frees us from the cult of self-esteem. We better learn that here at GCC. We definitely better hear it moving forward because it is all pervasive now in many of the circles in which we move and it is certainly pervasive in much of the literature that is so-called evangelical in our day. The cult of self-esteem. The cult of self-esteem. Basically this. All our problems would go away if only we held ourselves in higher regard. That is the cult of self-esteem. And it is antithetical to the message of Scripture. I'll tell you right now, your, your fundamental, most fundamental problem and, and my most fundamental problem is not a lack of self-esteem. It's a little too much self-love, my friend. It's a little too much self-love. And it is not enough esteem when it comes to the Almighty. Who He is in His fullness and His glory and the radiance of His perfections. Our identity, our value comes from a right relationship with God. That's where it comes from, my friend. My value, my identity comes from the fact that I am one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I stand in a right relationship with God. But how conscious we must be aware of this moving forward. Soli Deo Gloria will free us, guard us, keep us, and protect us from the cult of self-esteem. Here's number four. Soli Deo Gloria. So important. Because it cultivates humility. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name. Give glory. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name. Give glory. Hear this, please. My strength, uh, first person plural, our strength, however strong we think we might be, our knowledge, however sharp we think we might be, our achievements, our ambitions, our dreams, our needs, our desires must all be reduced to nothing. Nothing. We have no refuge but in poverty of spirit. That is the only safe place to be, my friend. The only safe place to be. We have no refuge but in poverty of spirit. And blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, soli deo gloria cultivates humility because it makes much of God. It attributes all glory to God and leaves nothing for man. Number five, soli deo gloria, so important because it is the result of the fruit 
of righteousness. How we must learn that and learn it quickly. It is the fruit of righteousness. Hear Paul's words in Philippians 1, 10 and 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Listen to what he goes on to say. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How's that going, brother? How's that going, sister? How is that fruit of righteousness going? Is it abounding today? Did it abound yesterday? Will it abound tomorrow? Are you stuck in the mud? Maybe even moving backwards. Not really the concern what your life looks like. Not really concerned how you're living 24-7. Not really concerned with Christ's kingship in absolutely every facet of your life. Therefore, I conclude, not really concerned with God's glory. Because God's glory is a direct result of the fruit of righteousness in us. A fruit which is a result, it flows from our union with Christ. But a fruit that is real, a fruit that is evident, a fruit that is tangible. And if we're really concerned, consumed with the glory of God, we will be consumed with our pursuit of sanctification, will we not? We'll be consumed with all those things, all that which resounds to the glory of God. We will be primarily, chiefly concerned with this great reality that we are one with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, the old man has died, was killed upon Calvary's cross, and the life we now live, we live by faith in the Lord Jesus. And that life will be manifested, shown forth in the fruit of righteousness. Here's number six. Soli Deo Gloria, as we celebrate our 18th birthday, it determines, it must determine how we live. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so you may already be aware of this. Johann Sebastian Bach, one of the greatest composers whom ever lived, uh, at the end of each of his uh, compositions, how did he sign them? S-D-G. You'll see it there on your sermon notes. That was a plan. It was intentional on my part. S-D-G. Not only Bach, many other famous composers whom we know, not only composers, but scientists of the 16th, 17th, 1800s, they would always write over their work, S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Why? Because it was their great motivating factor. That in their, in their composition of music, in their discovery in the realm of science or geography or, or other natural sciences, they always had this great conviction that what they were doing, what they were producing, the accumulative result would be what? It would resound for the glory of God. That ought to revolutionize how you change diapers, sisters and brothers. That ought to revolutionize how we keep our homes. Why we keep our homes the way we do. 
It ought to revolutionize young people, homeschool, public school, private school, whatever school. How you do your studies. Why you do your homework. Why you bother. Why you actually try your best to get good grades. Our carpenters, our painters, our electricians. This dictates why you do what you do, how you do the work you do, why you charge the prices you do, and why you take the pride, good sense of the word, in the work you do. Those of you dabbling in theology or reading or literature or whatever, why are you reading those books? Or those of you learning the guitar, why are you learning the guitar? Or those of you picking up the piano, why are you bothering to do that? Solely Deo Gloria, SDG, write it over everything and it will revolutionize everything. Your purpose in doing this is for the glory of God. Therefore, no matter how tedious or momentous, you will do it to the best of your ability. And I will do it to the best of my ability. I will do it to the absolute best of those gifts that God has imparted to me. Because in so doing, it might be small, it might be great, but it is for the glory of God. You think your job is boring. Guess what, my friend? It's no longer boring. You think housekeeping is tedious. Guess what? It's no longer tedious. You think the three, four, five, six kids... Well, I don't know what you're thinking, but whatever it is, it's no longer that. All right? This is transformative. Every day, 24-7, you now know why you're here as a Christian. There is no separation between secular and sacred. Don't you ever look at the pastoral ministry or the missionary office as those who are really doing something for the Lord. If that is your worldview, you have completely lost it. That is not a biblical worldview. Whatever it is you are doing and set your hands to, that is God's calling upon your life. And you write S-D-G over it. Or you adopt Calvin's motto, I offer, Lord, my heart promptly and sincerely. That's it. I offer my heart promptly and sincerely with whatever you have given me to do. Here's number seven, S-D-G. It drives our worship. Quickly, Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a church, we as GCC, as we gather corporately to worship, there is our chief end. We glorify God by putting His infinite worth on display and we do it in our singing we do it in our acknowledging we do it in our praying we do it in our preaching we do it in our confessing we do it in our fellowshipping that we are driven by this goal to glorify the god and father of our lord jesus christ here's number eight soli deo gloria it defines our mission our mission first peter four Verses 10 through 12, as each has received a gift. If you're a Christian, you have received at least one spiritual gift. Use it to serve one another. As God's stewards, good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, 
in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why do you teach Sunday school? Why do you do it, brother? Why do you do it, sister? Why did you get involved in setting up and preparing this lunch today? What was going on there? What was the motive? Why do you serve as a deacon? Why do you serve as an elder? Why do you help with the cleanup today after that meal? Uh, why do you come early and practice with the worship team? Why do you stand out there in the foyer and greet people, wear that name tag or whatever it is, and hand out bulletins whenever you do it? Why do you come up here and help out at the medical clinic? Why do you meet one-on-one -on -one with people and try to get into the Word? Why do you send people those encouraging notes, you know, whether by email or little cards? Why, 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 why? You are exercising a stewardship. Gifts that God has given us. And in exercising this stewardship and seeking to be good stewards of the varied gifts that God has imparted to us, our chief goal is what? Not to please the person at the end of the row. Not so that others take notice. Not so that people finally realize just how special we are. Not so that people finally, finally get it just how gifted we are. Not because, well, this is something I just particularly enjoy and want to do. No, the great motivating factor is what? It is the glory of God. It is transformative. Number nine. Here we go. Conclusion. Soli Deo Gloria. It is our greatest joy. Ninth reason why it is so important. It is our greatest joy. Psalm 16, 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. Let me say that. Really? Come on now. Psalm 16, 2. You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. You are my portion, says the psalmist, and you are my inheritance forever. Hear these words. This is the chief end for which God created us, that he might be glorified through our enjoyment of his fullness. This is the chief end for which he created us, saved us, that he might be glorified through our enjoyment of his fullness. God does so, how? He blesses us, how? By giving himself to us. That is what we are getting when we come through faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are becoming the children of God. And God is becoming to us a loving heavenly Father. And in the fullness of his glory, we now find our greatest joy. And so what's our vision statement here at Grace Community Church? Don't answer that. I'll answer it for you. Give you a moment just to think. It is what? It is to equip God's people to delight in his glory. Soli Deo Gloria. And to declare that glory to the nations. Eighteen years, we have much to give thanks for. And as we anticipate the future, we pray what? Well, we pray the Lord keeps us in the way, do we not? We pray, pray that he preserves us in the truth. We pray that he keeps us unified. And he accomplishes all of these, how? By keeping us transfixed, I believe, on this great truth. Soli, Deo, Gloria. Our Heavenly Father, we do bring our worship to a conclusion. 
by worshiping you and declaring that you alone are worthy. We magnify your name and we declare your wondrous deeds and works and we make known your goodness to us in the gospel and saving us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Help us to grasp these things that we've pondered today. Help us to take them to heart. Give understanding where there might be some confusion. Uh, Give tenderness of heart where there might be some uh, resistance. We pray that you would give all of us enlarged faith and renewed hope and love. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read now our benediction from the book of uh, Philippians chapter 4 and uh, chosen it intentionally and um, listen carefully uh, to these words. Uh, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I mixed the order up intentionally. I wanted those words front and center as the worship team comes now and concludes our time in song.